0: This is Mouth Media Network, your inside voice. Hi, I'm Jody Peckman, and I'm a creator of visual content. And what I love about content, can you really love content? I think that's a little odd. I think everything is content, so I love everything. Um, What I love about visual content probably is that There seem to be less boundaries when you're creating visual content and it seems to be you can do more things and you can be more creative. So that's worked out pretty well for me.
1: If you had an hour with the former long-standing creative director for the iconic publication Rolling Stone, someone who has been in the center of culture, spending time with presidents, the Dalai Lama. Major entertainers like Madonna and George Clooney and musicians as wide-ranging as the Beatles to Cardi B. Through wars, trends, and a technological revolution, what would you ask? What could you learn? Coming up, we do exactly that. And the conversation is as wide-ranging as you would think it is. Including the concept of content itself and being a visual creator. Navigating the idea of fake news and its truth of being something you simply might not want to hear. Why the future is video. Staying true to a brand and the evolution of owning your own personal individual brand. The boundlessness of visual content and the creative process in producing across mediums, as well as the value of things in their natural form. Really negotiating to get what you want. And enjoying New York from end to end. And at the end of the day, truly knowing
0: your true self. From New York City, you're listening to Content is Your Business Conversations with industry leaders and influencers, covering the strategy and innovation of brand storytelling.
1: Thank you so much for joining us, Jodi. My name is Amber Mundinger. I'm the COO and Head of Partnerships for The Artist Den, and we're so happy to have everybody here with us for Content Is Your Business. And I'm here with my host, Dahlia Strom, uh, founder of Rethink Connect.
2: Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for
1: being here. Hi. And Natasha Chollerton-Brown, COO of Clippin. Hi, everyone. Great to be here. So, Jody really loved what you were talking about when you were just sharing, you know, what you love about content. Um, You know, you mentioned that you don't always think of yourself as a creator of content. Can
0: you share a little bit more about you and, and your thoughts on that? Yeah, I have a little bit of a hard time with that word content. First of all, we didn't really hear this word that much 20 years ago. It seems to be just a word thrown around all the time now. I don't even remember when it first started to be used. Um, I never really connected it with myself because I always think of content as words and creating stories and writers create content. And I'm a visual creator and I've been arguing with people in the last six months about this because... People keep telling me, you create content. We, All my friends who are in the visual world, we're content creators. And I keep saying, no, we're not content creators. I don't create content. And they keep telling me I do over and over again. And my final argument about this was with Amber. <laughs> and she told me, you're wrong and all your friends are right and you are a content creator and we're going to talk about it on a podcast. And here I am.
2: Uh-oh, that was good. <laughs> okay. So why do you feel that you don't create content?
0: I mean, you're you called yourself a storyteller, right? I it's it's just word association. It does I'm now that, you know, now that I've been having this argument with everybody for months and months, I realize I do and I'm really happy about it oh, okay. because everyone <laughs> wants a content creator and I never thought I was that. So I'm very happy that I can now call myself a content creator. You know, I usually say when people say, what, what did you do? I, I recently left a job I had for many decades and uh, as a creative director and a director of photography. And I always say that I Wrote the visual narrative for a very iconic brand. I that's mean, so that's lovely. the way yeah. I describe. It's a yeah. great way to what it. I do. So it doesn't include the word content, probably because I don't love that word. So I might tweak it now, yeah, and change mm. it a little bit to include. Uh, c- I actually C-O-N-T don't think you
3: should do. was going to say, if you want to stand out in the crowd, stick to your guns. Yeah, I think I agree with you. The word content is so overused, and I know in other conversations we've had we've said, what should we call it? If we're not going to call it just content, should it be craft content? But it's all it all just sounds a little Well,
0: what did too... we call it 20 years ago? What, that was what I was going to ask Or before you. the internet? Yeah. Or hmm. what did we call it I when there was only television and print media? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what
1: we called it. Yeah, I think I've blocked out life before
0: the internet. No. <laughs> I'm very nostalgic, so but, I didn't block it out. But
1: I guess to that point, I mean, you've you've worked on so many like cool unique amazing things and you know with so many dynamic and interesting people you know across years you know what how even for example have you seen like from a photography like image standpoint with content um things shift like because you know now so much is all digital Mm -hmm. um and i assume you know a lot of that was film yeah. before. so and, there's and while been, you're
2: responding to that question, yeah. can you also tell us the type of images that you would create? Okay. Mm-hmm. So I
0: created um, content <laughs> for Rolling Stone magazine for, let's say, 20-plus years. So I don't have to say how many years. <laughs> and um, there were changes over the years, lots of changes. One, obviously, was the change from film to digital. And that was a very hard change for a lot of photographers to make. And we are now going back to film. So photographers are now returning to film, something that they feel is more authentic and very real and has more texture to it. It's very tactile and it evokes a mood you can do all those things with digital photography but they're they're not real you have to manipulate it to be that way and when film comes directly out of a camera that's what you're getting right away. So that's changed. Style of photography has changed. During the 80s, celebrity photography was very glitzy and glamorous. In the 90s, we were doing conceptual photography. So those are photographs that have an idea to them. Very often they'll involve sets or props, the, it, mostly it was usually a humorous idea. So that's changed a lot. Style of photography now is much looser. For lack of a better word, it's more lifestyle, more real. People are finding photographers via Instagram ad agencies or pulling young photographers off Instagram and giving them jobs and taking it away from the veterans of photography. So that's changed a lot. And those are the changes that I see in the photography world. There's a multitude of others, but those are the ones that stand out really. And
2: when you think about the actual visuals, I'm sure you have to focus on props and colors. How does that all come together?
0: It depends who you're photographing. So I focused mostly on celebrities, actresses and actors and musicians, sometimes politicians, sometimes other kinds of people, sports, athletes, the Dalai Lama, the President of the United States. So the range was huge. And it depends on two things, what the story's about and who the person is and what I think their personality is going to be. So I'm pretty intuitive in that either through research or through knowing these people over the years. I was I was telling Amber, many of these people I've seen year in and year out. So I've worked with, say, a Bruce Springsteen 20 times or Barack Obama eight times. So I know what to expect. But without knowing anybody, you have to decide, you know, what are they – what do you think they're about? What – you know, read a lot about their personal life because it's better to – Enter an idea through their personal life rather than their persona on television or their act on stage. So you can evoke something real out of them and then you decide what kind of photo you want if it's a comedian obviously you want to do something funny a concept and we would or i would work directly with the comedian because they have better ideas than we do they're funnier although i have some funny ideas but <laughs> <laughs> they have funny ideas and the one main photographer mark selliger that we used he's hilarious and brilliant and Can come up with an idea. Although he says they don't happen that easily. I've heard him, you know, roll off 10 ideas in one Mm -hmm. sitting. So that's kind of how you do it. And then you decide if you want to use film or digital, what the color palette might be. Do you want it to be on location? Do you want a simple studio shoot? Location photographs are more interesting to me, but you can get some really beautiful pictures in a studio. But I'd much rather see the president in a real setting, which is a little hard to do, but then, you know, a classic portrait. I feel like you've met some really fascinating people. I, I want
2: right. to come to one of your dinner parties. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I've been really fortunate. And as I say, met everyone from Mick Jagger to the Dalai Lama to Timothy Leary to a president, you know, George Clooney, everybody. it well, so how,
3: how much influence does the person you're taking the portrait of have over
0: where it is, the style of it, the the aesthetic of it. Right. Well, with my job since I worked for such an iconic brand, we had the most influence and because I established myself in my field and had been doing it for so long, I was considered very trustworthy. I never really had any I didn't have any cover that wasn't a big success or where the person was unhappy with what I did. And so it's about trust and I built up that trust over years and years. And we're respectful of the person, but a little sneaky sometimes. Sometimes we'll have an idea and we might run it by them and they're not so into it. We still are prepared to do that idea anyway on the day. And it's my job to go in there and talk them into it and talk them into why it's so good. And um so I'm pretty persuasive and heavy on the direction of well, what the person is. So
4: mm-hmm.
2: what would that conversation look like?
0: I would present the idea and gauge the response. If it wasn't good, I'd step away for a little while, I'd distract them and talk about something else. I'd go back in and present the idea again. And I would just push in a very gentle way. But aggressively, I guess you'd say passive aggressively. Mm -hmm. And in the end, I would make them come around to almost think it was their idea. And then that's how we would get to do it. Oh,
2: yeah. You're a
1: content creator all the way.
3: The art of giving them what you want.
1: I have have two questions. One, when you're talking about locations, like what's one of today the favorite location shoots that you've
0: done? Well, the favorite locations for me are always the environment the person lives in, which Mm. is the hardest location to get asking to, photo, these are high profile people, very famous people, asking to photograph them at home. Once you get one person to do that, they start, you can use that for the next person. And I would say, can I shoot so-and-so at home? No, you get shut down. Absolutely not. And I say, why? So I just push it. Mm -hmm. We don't do that. Why don't you do that? And then I'll throw out the person that that did it. That did it. It's usually, I secured two pretty big names in the beginning. And I said, well, they did it. And then sometimes they say, they did? They let you go to their house? Okay. And so those are the... Those are the environments I love because obviously that's where everybody feels the most comfortable. Also, their wardrobe is there, their cl- everyday clothing. I did never really liked styling. To mm. me, styling is only good when it doesn't look like it was styled. And it's hard to do because celebrities want racks of designer clothes there. Mm. And all I want is worn in jeans, old sneakers and T-shirts.
3: What do you do if the
0: house is a mess? it's better it's,
1: a mess. <laughs> it's probably more interesting
0: yeah, right? yeah like yeah. We, when yeah. I went to do Donald Trump in his office he was like oh it's a mess in here and he went over and he started cleaning up the desk and I was like no don't touch a desk <laughs> leave it." and he's like what and then I went over and I just started pushing everything around and I was like bring that stack wait he, had- he just let you push <laughs> yeah, everything he around he had like <laughs> stacks of bumper stickers and I was like threw them on top of the desk and just messed it up. He, he, you know, he said, "Oh, I see what you're going for. I see what." You, I said, "Yeah, realism. This is your desk. We're not cleaning it up. This is real." It always
2: yeah. has bumper stickers on it. It <laughs> always has hats. Oh he yeah. made sure to
0: give us all that one of those hats in the early days. Um, oh my goodness, that was a very memorable, very f- comical shoot. But, um, but- so yeah. It's better if it's messy. We shoot in hotel rooms a lot. I never just rent an empty hotel room. I always insist we go in the hotel room the person is staying in. Do not clean up. Don't get maid service. Leave everything the way it is. That makes it more interesting. Mm-hmm. And there are many outdoor locations that are great. Dry lake beds, water, ocean, sand, woods. You What's know. the
2: craziest thing you've ever seen?
0: Location-wise? Yeah. Um, the Oval Office. Okay, yeah, that had to be pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was yeah. the, the moment. logistics of getting in there. It wasn't crazy. Well, it was kind of crazy. Just you think this is crazy, but just when you're in there, feeling. sitting at the desk, sitting before he came in, sitting at the desk, right in the chair, leaning on the desk, pretending I was official. Yeah. You know, you get to do all that thing. You get to do all those kind of goofing around stuff before the subject gets there. Right. And I always stand in for the cover picture to That's get funny, my Polaroid taken. Yeah, so yeah. I'll stand in for the um, cover person. And so I have a good deal of photographs of me in that position and then the actual cover. So it's That's really, really nice. Cool. It sounds like yeah. a book right there. Yeah. yeah. yeah I guess it's like great. I, right. Everyone says it's a book, but I don't know why anyone wants to see me in that position except my family. You know, they
1: think it's cool. It's
3: I good, wouldn't mind seeing it. It's a good it. present.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's a good present.
1: What about in terms of creative... Process, For example, you're talking about, you know, when you've worked with certain people multiple times like Barack Obama or, you know, how does that creative process change when you're on your eighth time with that partic- particular person and generating a new piece of visual, you know, art, a new piece of content telling a different story?
0: It's more relaxing. Hmm. And you can get more out of the person. And obviously, if they know you. So it's just, it's more fun. It's very nerve wracking the first time you do it. You know, I don't, I'm not kind of a starstruck person Mm -hmm. and you can't be if you have this job or that job, you, you have to be really confident and relaxed around people of that stature. So it just gets easier and easier the more you do it and they collaborate with you more. Because they remember the last time they were there and they had a great time and the result was really good. So they collaborate easier and um, it's, it's just a little more fun. Mm-hmm. Also, just- if it's a bad subject, it could be a night- just the same nightmare over and over. <laughs>
1: right. You're like, oh, we're yeah. back here again together. <laughs> awesome. So does the
2: content of an actual piece and by content, the contextual content kind of delegate what the visual should look like in any capacity?
0: Um, yeah, it does. As I say, you need to know what the story is about. Right. Um, You don't directly, literally relate it to that, but you should always have a nod to it, a wink to it. Um, we've I like had, that. That's we, cute. We've had ideas that some people won't do. Uh, we did Rachel Maddow, and the photographer was Mark Seliger, and he wanted her to have a black eye. Um This
2: most, sounds terrible, and um, <laughs> just
0: because she's tough and she gets, you know, it, it, it's very loose reference to many different things. And I thought it was brilliant. And she just was not going there, and I was pushing till the bitter end. And she, they they give you that one look, and you know it's over. Yeah, mm-hmm. dead in the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: like, and why do you think she pushed back so
0: hard? I think she just wanted to be look normal, right? And like she does on TV but more of her real self right she wore her glasses and she i think she just she just probably didn't like the process even though she's on television every night it's different when you're in a film or a concert, or on TV than when you're posing for a still photograph. It's much harder, and most people don't like it. So she was probably a little uncomfortable.
2: Right. I'm sure it also goes to the fact that, like, when you're on TV, you're playing a character. Right When you're, when you're taking the photograph, it's almost like a profile. Right, They yeah. want to show that. Exactly. And you're much more
1: vulnerable. Right. Like, Yeah, I mean, I think going into the context of the story that you were just telling about Rachel Maddow, how have you seen the evolution of working with – individuals, artists, entertainers and them wanting more ownership over their personal brand.
0: Yeah, um the hardest people to do that with are musicians. Years ago in the 70s and early 80s, not that I was there in the 70s, but <laughs> musicians were different as you know, you know, music was more real, let's say, and people didn't have those personas as much unless they were an act like Kiss or something. But people like Jackson Brown or Joni Mitchell and uh, the California people, they just were musicians and they came on as real people. But as the years went on, Things changed and people had a real – musicians had a real idea of what they were going to look like, what their stage would be, what their persona would be, what their merchandise would be, what their tours would be. And so in the last 10, 15 years, that's been difficult because they want the photograph to play into their idea of their new product. Right and what the tour is, and, and this is how we're presenting ourselves. And so it was a constant battle to not strip that away. I didn't want to portray them as something they weren't. I wanted to strip it away and portray them as they were before that. And And I understand that artists have a need to promote a certain project, because that's why they're appearing in a print publication but we're not part of that campaign right we're our own brand and we're about we were about authenticity and going along with their product just seem it doesn't seem as real and so it was a constant struggle and you have to meet a happy medium you know
1: like for example with and you know to the extent that you can share like with you know last year when we were doing Cardi B mm-hmm. like I feel like that was such a cool shoot in terms of the images that came out of that right but that really came out of your ideas right around that particular yeah shoot.
0: it was hard to think of an idea for some, an artist like that because she and herself is an idea she mm-hmm. is a caricature right and it's a really strong one and so you don't want to change that's an that's an example of someone you don't want to change maybe further on down the line in her career 10 years 5 years i would have said i want to see her with no makeup and nothing raw at home but she wasn't ready for that yet you you have to be an established artist I think you have to be an established artist to strip that person down and show the woman without makeup and you have to if you're just a new artist and not you know not as right. known it's not that interesting so you're seeing them unmade up it's a big deal but when you've been seeing for years and years people as a character and then all of a sudden bam a magazine comes and they strip that down it's really exciting so i had to stay within her realm of what she was about and I just thought she was pregnant at the time and she was getting married. And what did that mean? And they were having a child. And I just was thinking, what kind of kid is this going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, Cardi B and Offset. What kind of child are they going to have? And what are they going to do? And I thought about toys and what mm-hmm. kind of toys would they buy? And how many toys would they buy? And a lot of so. Toys. I thought...
2: (laughs) Like a Swarovski BMW. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So
0: I thought, well, it's got to be outrageous, over-the-top, glitzy, sparkly, gold, silver. And I wanted to do them shopping. And they would have an abundance of toys, right? Because they wouldn't just buy a few toys. There wouldn't be two toys under the Christmas tree. There'd be 200. Right. So, Too bad
2: FAO Schwartz wasn't open. Yeah. <laughs> so we
0: were in Atlanta and I decided to try to find an old um, Rolls Royce convertible or Bentley vintage convertible. So I found one of those. And then I wanted to pile the back seat with all these toys. So blow up toys and, you know, toy BMWs and Lots of plastic, and and you know they're not the silver engraved spoon Tiffany type. I'm sure people got them gifts like that. I'm not saying they wouldn't appreciate that, but it was about excess. Mm-hmm. And so we took a picture like that, and it was really fun. And we piled everything up, and she stood up in the front of the car, and. And uh, he kind of sat there with no expression like he would normally do. She looked great pregnant. Yeah, she looked good. And so that was just one idea, a very simple idea, but it tells a story. Yeah. You know, it gets to who the people are. So sometimes the simplest things are the best, but they are the hardest things to think of.
2: And did she resonate with the visual when she arrived? Was she
0: Yeah, she was, you know, she was a little out of it because she was very pregnant, and so she wasn't really focusing that much on what, but when I ran the idea past her, she was totally fine with it, and once they got, you know, they complain a little bit, but once they actually get in the car and they look around and they see what's going on, they they think, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. this is fun. And they're into the vibe. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But that brings up another point, because I'm sure you do Deal with people that might not necessarily appreciate your vision. How do you how do you stay consistent and know that your vision will actually produce the best quality image as opposed to auto adjusting based on uh, the person's like insecurities or uh, their
0: ideal uh, visuals? Well I'm very confident in my ideas. I think they're good ideas. I think they're really strong and smart ideas and I guess I'm portraying them well to the person. You know, I'm not going to go in there if I feel insecure about an idea and I don't know in my heart that it's really great. I I, I won't even go there because I can't, uh, you know, I can convince somebody to do anything, but I have a better chance if I really believe in it myself. So I
1: love that. And I think actually this is a great time to dive into your snack and oh. talk a little bit about why you brought what you did and for us to just you know go into a tradition that happens on every single show here and break a
0: little bread together. Mm-hmm. Today I brought a box of baked goods from the William Greenberg Bakery which is on Madison Avenue and 83rd Street near where I live. And I brought everybody I, <laughs> I brought everybody the classic wait for it the classic New York black and white cookie yes Ooh. from what I consider the best black and white cookie in New York
1: I love it
0: um I'm a New Yorker and I think this is a classic New York dessert uh I would imagine down on the Lower East Side they have some pretty good ones too, but William Greenberg has the freshest and the best. And I never, remember, I never forget Jerry Seinfeld did part of an episode about the black and white cookie, how it was the perfect cookie and how it actually should be a reflection of our society in that two different groups but that are equal. There's the same amount of chocolate. There's the same amount of vanilla. And you don't eat just the chocolate side if you're a real black and white cookie eater. And you don't eat just the vanilla side. You take a little bit of each, and they work in harmony together. And he did a whole skit on that, and I loved it. So
2: I love that. I know this is really <laughs> random, but I have to point it out that we're all wearing black and white. <laughs> just to be uh, clear.
3: There you
1: go.
0: So there's Either the right there. down to your
1: sneakers. I love it. We're matching the... Yeah, the we all that. match the black and white cookies. And cookie. there's
0: one for each of you, and that's why I brought black and white cookies. That's so great. And you're wearing a black and white
1: cookie color.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I usually only wear black and white and navy. Those are my three
1: very colors. New Yorker. Coming up, you'll hear about the evolution of content and the creative process in different subject matter.
4: Entrepreneurista. A woman who organizes and operates a business, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive, forging her own path to independence and success. That's an Entreprenista. Through the conversations on the Entreprenista podcast, we want to celebrate failures, reflect on successes, and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entreprenista podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at Entrepreneissapodcast.com. Jody, what an
3: amazing snack. And I have to admit, having lived here for 10 years and having seen these white and black. Black and white? <laughs> black, black and, and white. white. Wait, <laughs> black I'm and white super cookies. confused.
2: 10 years and you've never yeah. tried a black and white no. cookie? Wow. What? They and I, they, I see them in every they deli. I don't look
0: that appealing. No, they're like I mean, they're <laughs> a little bo- I mean, even the name is boring.
2: So, you know what? I actually agree with you. I think it's kind of nostalgic from when I was a child yeah. and I would eat them as a child. Yes. So maybe that's where it stems from and I just eat them now sometimes yeah, because Yeah, I
0: don't think there's a popular and they make those small little creepy ones that just aren't the same. You cannot have <laughs> I those. I love those so no, much. No, you can't
2: have the small. The yes, icing, the vanilla icing gets harder on the small mm-hmm. ones. So it's actually
3: Anyway, you ate a glass of dessert. to say, delicious, and I think I've been spoiled for life.
1: Yeah, you have to go to this bakery. Exactly. Yeah,
3: yeah, you have to go to
0: this bakery.
1: So,
3: thinking back across this amazing career you've had, could we go back, Jodie, and just talk a little bit about some of the eras that you've lived through with this magazine and how their approach to finding the perfect cover, deciding who should be on the cover to represent that, Time, that point in time, um, what was that process like? And maybe you could share some examples with us.
0: Well, the most interesting is a good news cycle. So, if you get a great news cycle, and at Rolling Stone, pretty much anything could pertain to the cover of the magazine, then that's really interesting. Uh, Rolling Stone covers all the elections. And all the candidates, they only put the Democratic candidates on the cover in a serious way, although we did satire on the Republican candidates. So that changes a lot. And certainly if there's war going on, that has to be covered. Um, Genres of music, whether it be folk music, the California sound, grunge music and the Seattle sound, hip-hop in its very early days, and then grew, grew, grew to be the biggest, the biggest thing. Female, there are stages when there's, seems to be mostly female singers making it big, pop singers, lots of different cycles. So it just kind of ebbs and flows all the time, and it's constantly changing. The core things are the same, but... As the world changes, you know, content and coverage in media changes all the time. I don't know if that answered your question, but... What
3: about the... Amber shared with us um, whilst we were talking earlier during the snack that you covered the 50th anniversary of Rolling Stone. What was that cover and how was it decided
0: that that should be the cover? And that exhibit. Okay, now... I'm and give having, us your creative mindset. I'm having a it. complete blank of so, what the cover
1: was. The, but in terms of even just like the 50 years of pulling together all of that content into an exhibit, yeah, that was at Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, a book, which is amazing. Yeah, the amazing. first
0: thing I wanted to do since I was the visuals person was put together a book because that magazine is iconic for its visuals i think more than any other magazine that was doesn't mean every photo was you know groundbreaking it doesn't mean every photo was memorable but certainly in its 50 year career it did have the most memorable images there probably should have been a book of the best stories Uh, The Mm -hmm. Best Stories in Rolling Stone. But there have been many of those over the years. And, um, you know, in terms of sales or commercial viability, photographs are usually Mm – people tend to gravitate towards that. And then we wanted to have an exhibition – of the history of Rolling Stone, how it started, how the founder started it when he was 21 years old with $10,000 and turned it into a multi million dollar business. What and are we
2: doing with our lives? Yeah. And
0: so <laughs> the obvious place to have it was at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. And it was hard to put together because how do you put an exhibition together of a magazine? You know, it was a little bit of a conundrum. But in the end, it was a combination of photography. We divided it up into categories. So the political coverage and the photo coverage and coverage of certain artists that we did over and over. We had a lot of audio. So you could go put on headphones and listen to Kurt Cobain talk or listen to Paul McCartney talk. And I think to me, that's probably the most exciting thing because The public doesn't have access to those tapes that the writers have. And when you hear it, you remember those stories resonated with you, the really Mm -hmm. good ones. And then when you hear their voice actually telling it, it reminds me, I recently just finished the Michelle Obama book, and it seemed a little daunting to read it. And so I decided to get it on Audible, and she narrates it. She narrates yeah, it. And yeah. And every morning I would go I, – I go to Central Park every morning for a walk. And so every morning I would listen to a chapter of her reading it and – it made a huge difference. It was so emotional. I mean, I cried yeah. a couple of times. They were, it was so emotional, and it was just nice spending time with her every morning.
3: Mm, yeah. You know, so. I love that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's I'm, a great. Way I'm to listening about to
3: that content. right now. I'm on yes. hour
0: seventeen yeah. out of nineteen. And it's a half, wonderful. It so yeah. that was part of the She's exhibition, and um, we recreated the original San Francisco office. Um, which seems like it wouldn't mean anything to anybody. But we had some items in there that were from the early 70s and, you know, there was typewriters around and fax machines and things that don't exist anymore. And that was right. – it was really wonderful. And we had a very famous photo of the owner of the magazine sitting in that office. And so we recreated that I office. I want to go
2: and to this. Can we yeah, recreate Yeah, it's not this?
1: there anymore. anymore. <laughs> <but. laughs>
0: Um, so we did that and um, we had a couple of other things going mm-hmm. on. I don't remember. And as I'm sitting here talking, I still can't remember the cover <laughs> of the 50th <laughs> issue. I blocked it out.
2: You were saying that like in the past that when people would go and uh, interview some of these celebrities, they would actually record them. Is that still customary to do today? Yes. It's mm-hmm.
0: always recorded. Um, for a magazine like Rolling Stone and probably the New York Times and like things like Vanity Fair, it's done in person, uh, face-to-face, not over the telephone. In fact, a lot of these publications won't do the interview unless it's person-to-person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes it more real. It makes it m- more authentic, more emotional. Although, you know, sometimes it's on... Not possible and you have to get follow-up if a person's on tour and you're not going to fly to Brazil, you know, although sometimes you, sometimes do, you do. to <laughs> get the follow-up. So, yeah, it's still tape recorded and, you know, brought because back and transcribed by the, those Unfortunate interns that have to sit there all day transcribing <laughs> and, listen to all of and listen to all that. Although is every
2: fortunate th- or isn't amazing. I, mean, I, feel I like guess amazing I always walk
0: by used to walk by interns and go, Oh, I feel so bad for them and they but then when ask I asked them, like for them it was like, fascinating blowing my mind you know, yeah. to, <laughs> to hear David Bowie's voice or something. So I guess it is interesting in a way. Yeah. And I
1: feel like if you're doing an interview like that. It has to be in person, but you really need to tape it because there's just going to be so many things that as you're having a conversation that you may not pick up for writing down. Yeah. I mean, you know? certain
0: artists don't allow it. Very few prints never allowed a tape recorder. So yeah. there are a couple that just won't let you tape them and you've got to sit and take notes. Mm-hmm.
3: But I guess you get so much color from
0: yeah from being there it's,
3: it's sure. so additive isn't it yeah For whether you're talking about a tone of voice and expression of a face and their surroundings right. all of those things combined is what makes it amazing
1: how do you think like i mean we're all dealing right now with fake news and the scrutiny that the mainstream media is having even you know the new york times is of the world and cnn and all of that how do you what's your perspective on that how do you think it impacts the future, the evolution of what, where we go with content, advertising, really kind of just in
0: general. Yeah, I don't really buy into fake news. To me, it was a term coined by the president, and I don't see it that way, you know, yeah. probably because I'm not in line with his views, but I don't see what's so fake about it. Uh, the fake news to me is Fox News. That's fake news, you know, and the National Enquirer. and that, But the news I listen to, I'm assuming and I'm hoping that it's real news. Right. It's credible. It's cre- coming from what I feel are credible sources the New York Times, CNN, MSNBC. So I don't really know what fake news is. I just think it's more of a term. Do you think it
1: makes writers or editors question or scrutinize things a bit more as they're... I think it makes them them? angry. (laughs) For sure. I agree
3: with that. Questions their ethics, isn't it? Their editorial ethics. I think that
0: writers want to believe that they're doing the honest thing and giving an honest portrayal and telling the facts. And certainly at a reputable um, media outlet, those things are fact checked to death in the nth degree. So you know, there are such thing as fact checkers. So if it was fake... You know, then that means the fact checkers are terrible or just don't care about their jobs. Which
1: you you would hope would not be the
0: case. There are mistakes made all the time. There are facts that are fact checked and they're believed to be true and turn out not true. That happens a lot. but Yeah.
2: It's funny because I think that like there could be times where things can be omitted, right? So it just depends on what the narrative is. And, right. And it might not be on purpose and it might, it might just not exactly. align with the actual story. So I feel like we've gotten into this weird place where people um, are using terminology. It's funny. I hosted an ideation session. The first thing that I uh, brought up was The Princess Bride. Um, Have you guys seen that movie? Oh, yeah.
0: I never saw.
2: Ah, <gasps> you have to watch it. So uh, he says this word, what is it called? Um, Inconceivable. So uh, over and over, over the course of the movie, he keeps saying, this is inconceivable. This is inconceivable. And it's like a whole clip of saying inconceivable. And by the end, the guy goes... I don't think you really understand what this word <laughs> what really this word means. Really <laughs> <is>. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that can also potentially be applied towards fake news, right? Like, like what is fake news, and is it because it's missing information that you wish would would have been there? Is it because um, it doesn't align with the story that you're looking to you're looking you're to, tell, to tell? Right? It doesn't align with your narrative. Like, really, what is fake news? And I think we have to keep asking ourselves these questions because. It'll push back on the overall uh, concept of what that what
0: the information is. I think it's anything you don't want to hear, right? Right. I think it's really personal. If it's something you don't want to hear, if it's something you don't believe, then you're de- you're declaring it fake news, right? What about in terms of you know
1: when you're looking across creating something, you know, in the realm of music versus politics versus you're dealing with a war or an environmental piece. Like, do you look at that process of creating
0: differently? Yeah, it's certainly for a war, you know, conflict zones and war zones are totally different. Um, The setup and the production for those are much different. Uh, They come really with the help of the writer. The writer plays a huge role in helping the photo department set up conflict zone things mm-hmm. because they have been there before they've probably been in wars before they have the connections on the ground you need a connector right um when you're there to facilitate everything and so that's a real collaboration and you have to you know be careful who you ask to go it's always wise to ask someone who has experience, but there are then there are times with young photographers that don't, but they're so eager and so fearless. And they want that. And they want it. And so if you think they're talented and they have a good head on their shoulders, you can get a great result from somebody who's young and brand new. So those are obviously different things to set up. Um. Environmental stories are different to set up, different kind of photographer, a kind of a larger scale photographer that deals in kind of bigger mm-hmm. literally bigger uh palette. Right. And um, you know portrait photographers deal one on one with somebody and there are a multitude of different kinds of portrait photographers there's aggressive ones there's quiet introspective ones there's funny ones
2: like and, roar like a lion and, and, right
3: <laughs>
2: yeah you know,
0: over the top loud ones so it's yeah you have to all those genres are de- dealt with differently mm-hmm. but the underlining thing is the same so
3: jody with Rolling Stone being the seminal brand for music artists um how over the years have you managed to step away from that content vertical so elegantly um such that it hasn't damaged your brand in any way um and your audience has stayed with you your readers have stayed loyal and they and they've 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 not been um thrown off by the fact that suddenly you've seemingly taken a right turn into politics or war. Um, how how has that been navigated over the years?
0: Um, well, I think the general, as we know, the general perception of the magazine is that it's a pop culture music magazine. And in actual fact, if you read the original mission statement, which is in the first issue, it Jan Wenner, the owner, clearly states that that's not all that's being covered, that he – the magazine is about getting to the truth of things no matter what they are. And that has been done over the 50 years. It's just mostly you'll hear that from the newer, younger readers. You'll hear that from people maybe 30 or under, 35 or under. Uh, for instance – politics was always covered in rolling stone there was a national bureau chief there in washington dc uh hunter thompson covered presidential elections politics was always covered you know richard nixon was covered and jimmy carter was covered and george mcgovern was covered and so that's that's a staple so We don't hear too many complaints about going and covering politics, especially if it's a popular president, you know, like Barack Obama, where those were some of the biggest selling issues ever. Um, In terms of things like, let's say, crime or a national disaster, like a shooting. So an example would be the Boston Bomber's. And we did a cover on one of the Boston bombers because we thought it was an important story and it was a great story and it was very, very controversial because of that cover image, the picture we used. The picture was the kid's Facebook photo, so it was easily accessible from anyone. In fact, the New York Times ran it before we did. And it was really the only picture available for him where you really could see what it was because it was like a very casual, almost looked like a high school yearbook photo and we put that on the cover, and the press just went crazy with that because they said we were glamorizing him. We called him a monster on the cover. So I
2: remember that. I remember that whole story. C- we
0: certainly weren't glamorizing him. They said, I retouched the photo, did not touch the photo, didn't retouch it. I think maybe instead of it being gray and white, we added some kind of tint or something. I don't – very minor, nothing. And we just got taken down in the press. And, you know, we put Charles Manson on the cover who was a, right. a monster, mm-hmm. if not a bigger monster. Um, so, And that was back in the 60s or early 70s. So, you I think know-
2: any feature on him would have looked like glamorizing, right? Because we're continuing the conversation around him when people really just didn't –
0: they didn't even want to acknowledge yeah. what people didn't want to think about it but right. we felt it was our job to report on it right. They were a magazine that covered these kinds of things um, you know it backfired on us a little because of the bad press it got but you know it got a lot of press so that but was good but that's
2: kind of yeah so well, that's <laughs> sometimes press. War. yeah sometimes bad press is good press yeah. right i
0: don't know <laughs> we covered el chapo before he was caught although he was caught by the time we came out and so that's what I would have to but
2: say. But does that sell more? Um, does it create more demand? Does News
0: it- sells out very well. Right. News sells well. Somebody that is in the news and a little left of center. We put the Pope on the cover. It was a huge seller. We thought our uh, editor was absolutely nuts when he told us to put the Pope on the <laughs> cover. We, uh, The editorial staff couldn't believe it. And then as he talked us through it, it made a lot of sense. He really had a great argument for it. And it was a super a fantastic issue that sold a lot. It was super popular. And you got access to shoot him. And we did not get access to <laughs> <him>. <laughs> We just work? used a stock See image where he looked really friendly. And was it his <laughs> Facebook photo? Like it his Facebook photo. He would just look like the friendly pope. And it was a very positive story about him. So we've done a lot of different things, you know, not just – it was a magazine that covered everything. Yeah, and you've done
3: that from day one. Yeah. It's, so it's it not was not from version. day
0: one. It's just younger people don't know that. You know, there's not sitting and ordering back issues on eBay, you know. Although it's
1: you staying true, I think it's for anyone that's creating content or like a, any brand, to your point, staying true to the mission that you started from the very beginning and always kind of going back to that to make sure that it Mm. kind of fits in that space.
3: What are your feelings about video? Um, A statistic I use regularly in conversation is by, I think it's 2021, no, 2023, 82% of the content on the internet will be video. Right. Where does that leave photography?
0: In the dust, unfortunately. Video is powerful because it's emotional, and seeing real people moving in real time is going to bring out a stronger emotion in you than any – still photographs can. I mean certainly there are so many iconic still photographs, especially news photographs and war photographs and political photographs. They're memorable. They stand the test of time. They're referenced over and over again but it's not as immediate. And you just, you get a, 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 you get a deeper reaction when you're watching video because you feel like no matter how manipulated or staged some of it is, you feel like you're watching the real thing. And so I think that the fact that it's going to take over, yeah, it already has. And it won't get rid of won't get rid of photography. I don't think still imagery will ever go away. Still imagery has some passion in it as well, and you can go back and look at it over and over again, and and that's really great. Huh? You know, googling old images on the internet, you know, you go there. It it's it's just fun and fascinating, mm-hmm. and certainly photography is a fine art is sticking around you know it's not I think really that's going like the anywhere success of
2: instagram right yeah. yeah the visual yeah the mm-hmm. visual.
1: what are some of the the images that fascinate you most or the the types the subjects
2: or do you feel like you've seen it all
0: <laughs> um i actually do like war photography i find it fascinating More so that people are there taking those pictures. I'm just blown Mm -hmm. away by seeing. That they've
1: put themselves in that.
0: That they've put themselves in such danger. And there are some beautiful, and not beautiful and like beautiful, but really beautiful pictures of combat. And I've always been fascinated by those images. Um, They evoke more emotion in me than environmental pictures, although you can't beat, you know, flipping through an issue of Nat Geo Mm -hmm. or going on the Nat Geo Instagram, which is incredible. Oh, it's one of my favorites. They're they're great, but Mm -hmm. they don't, they're not as (laughs) emotional to me. Right. And, um, portraits, as I mentioned earlier of people in real situations and in their own environment. Um, I find that really interesting as well. And, um, I think that's it. I mean, some of the most memorable imagery over the past 15 years uh, was Pete Souza's photographs of mm. Barack Obama during his term. They are spectacular. Mm-hmm. They're really intimate, more intimate than any presidential photos I've ever seen. He had incredible access and he's a great photographer. And certainly Obama is very photogenic. Right. And those were, those photos will be remembered for a long, long time. I mean, there's still, people still look at those photos on Pete Souza's Instagram over and over. And he had a book and Mm -hmm. people just love looking at them. It was a really great, as real as it could be, great snapshot of the man The president and the man.
2: So anything that like you can develop a connection with, I feel like really resonates.
0: uh, Things that you have an emotional connection to. And then there's just beauty that Mm. you can have an emotional connection to. A beautiful portrait in the studio. I mean, they're Mm. incredible. Yeah. You know, they stop you in your tracks, some of those. But it has to have some kind of emotional response as as anything does when you're reading or seeing a movie or Mm
3: -hmm. eating a great meal. What do you have an emotional
0: response to when you're behind the lens, when you're shooting something? Well, I don't shoot. So I'm just sitting there telling the shooter what to do. And if I see something that's not working, I do not hesitate to walk right in there and tell them it's not working or I don't think it's working. And that's part of art directing. Um and uh, I just want to make sure there's feeling coming across in the photo and realness coming across and nothing too stage unless, of course, you're doing a concept like Julia Roberts with the mm-hmm. Declaration of Independence tattooed right. on right. her back. I mean, that's a set up picture and, you know, it's not real. It's just a funny concept.
2: Right. So you're going through a transition right now. I um, am. I'm no longer at Rolling
0: Stone. Yeah. I've done my duty.
2: <laughs> and, and you're I've, working on interesting I've projects.
0: i on. And I'm actually in the process of figuring out how I'm going to take what I've done over all these years and transfer it to a different medium. I worked in the print medium my whole life. And it was all about magazines. And that is not a viable industry anymore, as we all know. Magazines are smaller. Many are going out of business. Many people are losing their jobs, especially veterans of these publications. The staffs are smaller, the pay scale is smaller. And so that's not an area uh, that's a future for me. And actually, I tell younger people that's not an area for them either. The people that used to work uh, under me or for me at Rolling Stone, I, I would always say if you get another opportunity, especially a digital opportunity, you should take it and get out of here, you know. Um, so I have to really kind of pinpoint the things that I'm interested in and that is visual storytelling. I love books and I love to put books together. So I've been coming up with some book ideas that I'd like to do. They're not necessarily celebrity related and I'm working on some installations that I'm pitching right now to uh have shows in some public and private spaces. Um, that have different themes to them that then, you know can segue from an installation to a book, to a movie, to it, just getting the ball rolling with the photograph. I think I've figured out a way to start start by the image and take it from there. And I'm also exploring documentaries because those are my favorite form of film as are memoirs and books and i'm fascinated by documentaries and um so i'm trying to figure out how to get my foot in the door there
2: i feel like a movie
0: about your life would be so yeah, fascinating well, yeah. well. there's a, someone else who thinks so too oh, although yeah. I, I don't really
2: and i, I didn't even know that I, I, i'm not
0: really buying into the idea right now um but yeah, documentaries would be something that I would love to, to work on. Well, I love that
1: you're taking everything from the point of an image and evolving that to your yeah. point into what is that visual story and how does that translate into all of these interesting, you know, new projects. And I think, you know, we're
0: going to dive in a little bit more about you in a minute. Yeah. So, you know, it um, was hard to think of at first because I thought what 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 can I do? You know I've done the same thing. I'm someone who's a creature of habit. I eat the same thing every day. I've lived in the same apartment. What can I do? you know, and you just have to step back and think everything has a f- image, everything has a visual image, anything you think of, mm-hmm. you know food, travel, tech, anything, so you just have to figure out a way. That you can add something to anything, any company, any idea by adding the visual element to it. It's complicated, and it's been a challenge trying to figure it out. But I'll tell you, it's been really fun. Up next, we get to look closer at Jodi
1: herself as a human.
2: You like funny people talking I think maybe
3: you should check us out That's Elsie, the producer for Funny People Talking. I'm Mark Rako. I'm one of the hosts. And also with me is...
2: Danielle, I'm one of the other hosts. And you know what, Elsie? I actually think you're a funny person. And on the show, you do talk. So it really lives up to its name.
3: So if you love great interviews that have a lot of heart, improv comedy, and just a really fun discussion, you should check out the podcast, Funny People Talking, on Mouth Media Network and wherever the best podcasts are found. Because I think this is one of the best podcasts, don't you, Elsie? Well, duh what about you Danielle
2: well duh and
3: what about you all the listeners out there so you must believe all these people we don't lie at all but we are funny listen to funny people talking every Monday and really anytime it's a podcast
2: yeah and we don't lie
0: In touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at contentisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. So, we've talked a
1: lot about amazing content and your journey and your perspective across multiple areas. Um, now it's time to talk about you. Mm. So, I would love to ask you. Who is somebody that you've you've looked up to across the years or somebody that's been your mentor? I mean, you've kind of, you know, been in one of kind of the craziest, most interesting spaces in the middle of culture for so long, who helped kind of guide you and keep you grounded or inspired you?
0: Well, I think it's just kind of the obvious person. And that's Jan Wenner, who is the ad- editor in chief and sole owner until a year ago of Rolling Stone magazine. I started and met him when I was very young in college. Um, He didn't really pay attention to me, but I think he kind of looked at me out of the corner of his eye a lot. And I would definitely say that he's a mentor. He is uh, what I think is the best magazine editor that ever was. He has an amazing appreciation for journalism and his photography as well. He's the person that kind of championed Annie Leibovitz and discovered her, amongst other pretty well known photographers. He is very opinionated and can be very combative. It's super charming. And I learned everything from him. I learned mostly that no matter how much you think you're right, and you're arguing with him his side has a lot of validity mm-hmm. and sometimes is right too um, and that's hard you know when you are very opinionated like i am and you stand by your opinion it's a little hard to let go of that but i learned that with him and he he really is the person who mentored me and For the obvious reason, because I worked there so long Mm -hmm. and I worked under him for so long and I reported to him for so long. And we just have a wonderful working relationship and we see eye to eye and I can finish his sentences for him at this point. And so that's been my mentor. I love it.
2: Yeah. Um, so where do you get your inspiration? I feel like we're continuously trying to find ways to stay inspired and motivated. What are some outlets and resources for My you?
0: inspiration comes from the city of New York, from Manhattan. I'm a New Yorker and I'm one of the New, a New Yorker that does everything. I don't stay in my little 10 block radius I have a lot of friends that never leave their neighborhood. I use the city from one end to the other, from south to north and east and west. I visit different places in the city all the time. I go to new neighborhoods um that I've never seen and there are there are still some left that I've never been. I was recently looking for an apartment because I'm going to need a new apartment soon. And the way I'm doing that is picking a na- I was picking a neighborhood, one a week, and I would just walk in the entire radius of that neighborhood and I would stop at apartment buildings and ask the doorman if there were apartments there and spend time and sit there um, and if I I'm shopping for something or I need something, whether it be a dry cleaner or cosmetics or a massage, I'll go to every single neighborhood in Manhattan. And I get inspired by just looking around at everything and really taking it all in and people watching. I could sit on a sidewalk for two hours just watching people or sit in a park and just look at people or go to the library and just sit there gazing at people. So I'm just, I'm really mostly, I don't travel that often because I'm afraid of flying. So I don't get around too much, but I really utilize the city. Um, I really feel a part of the city and that's what inspires me.
2: That's so amazing to see and hear just because I've been reading a lot in my Instagram feed lately and people feel like the city can be very hard on them, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And and sometimes they feel like they need a break or sometimes they just need to move altogether. So it's kind of heartwarming to hear that you still love it and you're so
0: passionate about it. Yeah, I never feel like New York is hard. I feel like New York is a very friendly city. Yeah. I'm probably one of the friendly people in it, so that's why I feel (laughs) that way, but – I, it's really accessible and you can cover it on foot. And everything is here: everything, art, you know, culture, food, everything. News is made here. And um, I, I just love it. I, I
3: was going to ask you, actually, I was trying to build a question in my head about really what keeps you grounded. And, but it actually sounds like it's the energy of New York that keeps yeah. you grounded.
0: It is. It has incredible energy, but then it has quiet moments too. There's nothing better than a snowfall at night and getting up in the morning and walking over to Central Park and sitting there after a snowstorm. It is the Unless it's quietest. It is <laughs> the quietest place. In this side of a chaotic city, it's just incredible. It's one of my favorite things to do, really get up at like 6 a.m. and trudge over to the new snow and just sit and listen to nothing. Mm, It's hard to find that in New York, but that's one one way you
1: can. Right. So first of all, thank you so much for spending this time with all of us. Um, What if... If you had one final thought or one statement that you want to share that we didn't cover, um, would love for you to share that right now. And about what? About content. About what we just talked about. What you're passionate yeah, about. Life.
0: <laughs> My final statement is that today in this room, I have accepted that I am a content creator.
1: Yay! Wow! I, I feel love like that it. deserves a round of applause. <laughs> and. What are the types of people that you would love to be connected
0: with? Fun is my number one thing. I like to be connected to humorous, fun people that love life, visual people, people with style, and style can be anything really, and people that are just looking to create new things. I I I need to be creating new things. I would like to find a startup. You know, I worked for such a, a legacy brand that it would be nice to get in on something that was new and created from the ground up. That would be fun for me. So how can people get in touch with you? They can get in touch with me by emailing me. I'm a very old-fashioned person. <laughs> I do not have a website yet. I don't have a blog yet. I need I have, to talk about
2: that.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I would like to have a blog because mostly because people keep telling me I need a blog. So – and it would be fun. And I have an Instagram, but it's just kind of riffing on different things. It's not – I don't really focus on it that much. And I'm just at Jody Peckman, J-O-D-I, P-E-C-K-M-A-N, at gmail.com. That was simple.
1: Wonderful. So – Thank you to everyone for being a part of this and, you know, sharing in this amazing conversation that we just had and to Jody for taking us on
0: this awesome journey. It was fun. I really enjoyed it. I wished I hadn't eaten the whole cookie, but <laughs> we'll go walk it off now and go look
1: at some interesting people. It's perfect. Next time we'll do a salad.
3: Okay. <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> and many thanks, for, you know, from Dahlia.
2: Thank you, Jody. Seriously, this was a very meaningful experience. And it was just nice to hear your
3: perspective. And Natasha. To second that fabulous conversation. So
1: nice to have you with us.
0: It was a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Okay.
1: And thank you from myself, from Amber. Uh, It's been a pleasure.
0: This has been Content Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright
4: 2019.
0: Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at contentisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, your inside voice.